Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Revelation Project podcast. So today, we're kind of coming back around to this discussion of the feminine business model. And I wanted to just preface this conversation by letting all of the listeners know that actually, this is a series that I've been doing over the course of the last few months. And you'll find that every so often I'll intersperse an episode that continues this conversation. And what I'm up to here is exploring what is the feminine business model. And so my understanding of this, as I understand it up until now anyway, is that the foundation of a feminine business model is for me about inviting and embracing feminine values to integrate and co-create with the more structured values of the masculine. And while these core aspects of life are genderless and cannot be divided into a dual worldview, conscious life itself is a dance where dualities make up the whole. So in the past, this has been rather a one-sided dance. And if you ask me, we're stepping on our feet all the time because it's largely dominated by what we call the masculine Right. And these aspects of life and the masculine traits, while wonderful, have been given all of the value and have been rewarded with money and respect and has been thought to provide a higher perspective on how business and the economy should be operated. But as a result, we're all suffering. There's men are suffering, women are suffering, all genders are suffering, and especially children are actually suffering. Our planet is also suffering. And despite what one might think, men are hurting deeply in this unbalanced model. So we know that it's time for a shift and it's happening all around us right now, which can also mean that it's very disorienting. And so what I'm really up to is bringing guests on the podcast who can speak to this, who can start to create language and reveal what some of these components of a more feminine business model look like. So today I've got a wonderful guest with us. Her name is Tanya Mushi, and she is what's called a good business enthusiast. She is a consultant at Mushi & Co., which is an interdisciplinary firm that believes that business gets better by applying functions of philosophy and art. She is nicknamed the chief empathy officer among her peers. She's an avid supporter of downtown Phoenix, and she believes in the power of generosity and cites Seth Godin as one of her most influential mentors. She is the author of Love is the Business Plan. And so, you know, I could go on and on because I've already had just an incredible opportunity to get to know her a little bit before we jumped on. But instead, I just, you know, like, just just the, the title, like, Love is the Business Plan. I was like, say no more. Like, let's jump in. I'm going to stop talking now and invite her to join us. Hi, Tanya. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for this work of art that is your 
you know, your vision, you know, like love is the business plan. I want to just jump right in and say, like, where does that come from? Yeah. So uh, I know we talked about this a little bit. We have some great snippets too that we, <laughs> that we in our early conversation, but the book comes from an article that I wrote in 2015 with the same title. Actually, I, you know what? I, I'm sorry. Actually, the title is actually a little bit different. The title was The New Business Plan Love. Ah. And it was written for Delivering Happiness, which is a culture consulting company. And it really just came out of this idea that I love you is a process and it's not just for people. It's also for businesses. And it's, it's one of those things that it is actually part of a cultural embed of how you approach things in, you know, within the business. It doesn't matter if it's towards clients or towards employees. You know, Delivering Happiness used it really as this way to think about how to love their employees so that they would do great work. Mm. And I just really took that and wanted to say that this applies across the board. If you're a business owner, this applies just as much to your clients, to your customers, you know, as, um, as anything else. So that's where it came from. I love that. Well, and I also, you know, kind of really hear it in this way of loving our business that when we're in love, right, when we're in this state of love, we're actually, everything gets to belong, right, in that, in that place. Mm-hmm. And that when we love something, we nurture it, yeah. right? We, we look for nourishing ways to nurture and help it to grow. And so business can be, right, like we can think of our businesses and start to think of our businesses in this way, because I think up until now, a lot of people have related to their business in this very kind of domination role. It's the money-making machine. Money-making machine, right? Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it's like starting to recognize all of these parts of the whole. And so partnerships, employees, people we want to engage, business relations, yeah, that it's for purpose. You know, it's for purpose as much as it is for profit. That that those two things are this at the same level. You know, it's not imbalanced in this way. It is for purpose and it is for profit. And I think a lot of times people underestimate the power of that mentality because they they don't think of their everyday interactions in the business world as having that much meaning or that much impact. And my argument is that it does. Yes. And if you treat it like it does, it does. Yes. Well, and I love too, you know, again, it's, we were talking earlier before we jumped on about kind of the like getting quiet, the getting quiet and the listening for these values. Like, what do we value? And of course, whether you're, uh, no, no matter what gender you are, right? Like, there's this idea of really kind of getting quiet and getting clear about what is it that I value, allowing those values to al- then align with everything that comes from that place. It's like to be in alignment with your values, because the second we're out of alignment with those values, we're we're kind of in a place of suffering. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And and it's interesting, you know. So. It's funny because there are some things that, that are values and then, then there are also some things that are, that are strengths, right? And so I remember I used to work at Charles Schwab. It was my first job out of college, so you know, well before the business. And I had taken this test by Gallup, the Strength Finders test. And it was uh, it, 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 my, the number one strength that came up top was empathy. 
which is something I valued, but I did not see it as a strength, right? I was like, what the hell do I do with this? <laughs> like, this is my number one strength, you know? And just to be clear, did you see it as a weakness before you saw it as a strength? I thought I saw it as useless. Oh, I thought, thought it was like, just kind of like. So funny. Yeah. 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 I was just like, you know, this is like a default thing. This is like a soft skill. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a soft skill. It's a default sort of like regular humans. You know, I was just like, what? And then it was later on that I would have people, some of my clients would actually pull me into meetings because of this ability to understand the real need versus the perceived need. Wow. clients or to, you know what I mean? And so I was like, oh, uh, this is valuable. Or, or when people, you know, if there was like, like, it's so funny because my, my consultations, for example, are anytime I'm working with a client, it's like, usually get an email, like it's like a warm intro email. There's a 20 minute conversation. And then I send them an estimate. And people are like, how do you connect in 20 minutes with a prospect for some of these projects? Yeah. Like 20 minutes. And, and I'm just like, oh, you know, now I can see like, oh, I, I guess that is the strength. I guess that is Well, a, you're a revealer. It's like you know? you're, you're like listening for like what's underneath, right? It's like what's yes. the essence? Yep, what's the, the w- what is the essence of what it is that they really want? Yeah. And so, and so that strength now for me is a major value in yeah. the organization. And it is now also how I really own showing up is, is to say, I have an empathic approach. This is what I do. Yes. You know, like, and so, and that, which is very different than 10 years ago, where I would not even consider that, a, a, you know, a skill. <laughs> like, right. Let alone lead with it. Now it's, it's, it's turned into a value. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And just because I know my listeners are going to be curious, how would you describe what you do? So I'm a consultant and people are like, well, what kind of consultant? Uh, typically it's idea to market strategy. So somebody has an idea, they're not sure how to bring it into the world and they come to me. And a lot of times that means I work with them on a digital foundation. So we build websites, right? Some fancy way of saying we build websites. The way that I like to think about it is, uh, and by the way, so Mushi & Co. is a partner with Squarespace. I don't know if you've heard of them. Okay, Big yes. Website platform. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Use it so, all the um, time. Love it. Yeah. They're awesome. I love them. Um, and I, I use them a lot. Big partner with them. And then Typeform and a couple other no-code tools. But So they feature me as, as an expert and they will funnel clients my way as well. But people you know, will want to start a business and I always push for a digital foundation first because it's only through the process of building a website that you have to start thinking about who am I? Who do I want to help? How do I want to show up? How do I want people to perceive me? What am I actually helping with? And it's, it's almost like a forcing function. Yeah. So for a long time, the deliverable was a website, but it would be like all of this, you know, all of the, the work like uh, the meat of understanding why is really why I was hired. And then that's, you know, nowadays, honestly, I start to think of my business in ratios. And so whereas five years ago, maybe 100% was design and strategy. Now it's about, I would say 40% uh, design and about 60% advisement, just pure advisement. And I'm contracted with six cities in the United States as an advisor for their small business community, uh, just through, through a really cool program. And I love that. I actually really, really like advisement. It's yeah. a lot more fun than, than I yeah, than I thought it would be. But it's yeah, it's really cool. 
Right, because it's, it's again, being able to kind of see that bigger vision yep. and kind of coach from or advise or consult from that place of, yeah, here's what's missing, here's what I see. And oftentimes, it's probably a whole lot bigger than what they see for themselves initially. Yeah. Yeah. I love breaking the way people think. Yes. I get a kick out of that. So there's also some workshops that I do for uh, small to mid-sized organizations, but Probably the most impactful one that I ever did was for the city of Phoenix, uh, their deputy directors. So you're talking a pretty, you know, it's a government organization, so pretty stale organization, not a lot of entrepreneurial thinking happening, you know, and I'm coming in and doing design thinking and like all these IDEO uh, exercises and I'm helping them uh, with it. Like I did, I did a workshop, I think it was called Failing Forward, like oh, yeah. getting them comfortable with like iteration. Yes. And it was so fun because you see people who are clearly just sort of like stuck in a place. And I love to be the person that like just breaks that for them. Oh my gosh. Okay. I love that so much because for me, it comes into this huge barrier that I feel so many of us have around imagination and creation. It's like there's one of those invisible fences that somehow it's either been, you know, like somehow failure became this measurement stick versus mm -hmm. actually looking at all of these positive ways that we can fail fast and learn and iterate and oh yeah really kind of and and like failure is such the wrong word too it's just so limiting it's just, it's funny because like that's how we talk about it but it's not really that it's really just experience you know and i had experimenting. a client literally yesterday and experiment like, can we yeah. just experiment and, and be okay with that and explore yeah. and and yep. see, right? <laughs> like, can we just do that? It's just amazing to me. And then, and people have so much fun. It's like, then they start lighting up again. It's like, like, this is actually your birthright. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's something that comes in, into my chest as I even say that, because it's like, it's emotional for me, like to connect, to help connect people back to their birthright. I love that you call it that. I think that's, that's, really appropriate and people are so hesitant to do that right especially as uh, and i think this is actually a very western thing where we have this idea and actually uh this was inspired by alan watts which he has a book it's just a lecture series called one Mary, of my favorites like, fantastic yeah but this i think it really comes from this western world view where you if you're not the best at something you don't do it so it's like you start to see this in high school a lot of times, like if someone doesn't start to excel at the sport, if they don't go to college and play that sport or play that instrument or whatever, they just don't play it again. Yeah. They're like, what's the point? Either what's the point? Yeah. But there's a lot of other societies that are like, well, actually playing it is the point, <laughs> right? <laughs> the joy from playing it is the point. And so what I find here you know, in, the, in the Western world is that we're very hesitant to explore and experiment because we think if we can't be the best at this, if we, if we don't just nail this thing, there is just no point. Why, why would we even do it? It's too scary. It's too scary. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, there's so many places I could go right now, right? Because, <laughs> because, you know, this also is like, there's this big facade that like, we better start failing soon or else we're, we're in a lot of trouble. Meaning, in terms of just staying flexible and resilient, and these are all of the ability to adapt values 
adaptability, agents, like just giving ourselves permission to follow a, a hunch, follow our intuition. Again, these yeah. are all feminine values. They are, yeah. Starting to actually recognize that the logic and the structure is distorted if it doesn't have also a feminine lens. Yeah, yep, definitely. And there, there's also this component, I would say, where we believe that we can be made, right? So we, that we craft ourselves. So uh, one of the biggest things that I took from that uh, le- book, that lecture series you're at, was the story about how it's not unusual for a Western child to ask their parents, how was I made? Mm. Right? Very regular question. Mm-hmm. But Alan Watts goes on to say that, like, that, would ne- that question would never come up in an Eastern household. It would never come up. That que- the question instead for those children is, how did I grow? Mm. How did I grow? which is a whole different way of thinking about yourself, right? One is like you're coming into your own and another one is you are crafting your own. And so, the, so there's like, you know, this famous line that he says, it's not, how does he say this? It's not unusual that Jesus is a carpenter. And I just thought that was so good. <laughs> so good. He has so many of those where you're just like, huh, right? Like yep, just yep. zinger, you know, where you're just like, ah. Good. Yeah, yeah, but I think a lot of women really understand, and when they're when they embrace it, they understand and honor the fact that they grow into themselves. Mm-hmm. It's not just a forging, even though I know it sometimes feels that way. I think like, we talked earlier when it comes to that listening. That's what that is. It is a very internal thing happening. There's nothing coming from the outside in. It is a very internal, from the source, guiding me. Well, and I think that is some of what's missing is the space. You know, it's like there's a reason I think it was Virginia Woolf wrote a, a room of her own. Right? Yeah. As women, we need a room of our own. We need a space to stop the world so that we can go in and be with ourselves. Because that is the deep listening. That is the spaciousness that we need to create. And we can't really create if we're like constantly out here exhausted and seeking, yeah. right? It's like to just be still and to kind of go in and to trust that there will be something to hear. And however, you know, and when I say that, I don't necessarily mean with your ears. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. like it's it gets to be your way in it and when you go into that world, it is your world and there's a way that uh, so many women will be like, yeah, but I didn't, you know, but it it wasn't what I thought it was going to be or it didn't happen the way I thought it would or you know, there's so much expectation. It's like, okay, but there's expectation. Yeah, where it's like, no, no, just allow it. Right, just it get up. in there and yeah. however it comes <laughs> yeah. up for you is exactly what's supposed to be there in that moment. But it's that practice of creating that space and getting related to that silence. You know, there's an expression, the Gnostics, and I'm really diving deeply into the Gnostics, which is the Gnostics means the knowing or to know, right? It's, it's like... Ooh, I haven't heard that word. Yeah. So, the Gnostics, I actually did a recent episode with Miguel Connor, and there was this whole sect 
and actually a lot of people call it a religion but it was more a way of being and it was this whole idea of like the gnosis and they have this whole cosmology of the goddess sophia who is of course wisdom and wisdom you know sophia's world is the world of darkness and silence and that's that's that clue to go in and wow. down. It doesn't mean darkness like evil darkness, <laughs> yeah. right? It means quiet. It quiet. means the void. Yeah. It's like go into the void because that's the creation place, right? Yeah. So yeah, the more we can create that room of our own within ourselves to just be quiet, right? It's like yeah. to just also suspend our need to know what it needs to be like in order to know. That's huge, which requires a really, it requires like a deep faith. I don't even know what else to call it. It's like there is a deep trust and a faith in, in ourselves that feels very uncomfortable. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's really hard. It is, it's a, it is like a little bit of a battle where you're like, I have to trust this. Yeah, where you're, I love your face. Even you you're know? like, oh, I have to trust this. <laughs> yeah, you know? it's like, oh, yeah, God. yeah, you know, <laughs> because, but that's the that's the right feeling. You you will have that feeling until you don't, until yeah. you just trust it. Well, and and what I want to offer for myself because I'm catching myself in this moment, so I'm just going to offer it for all of us. Is I get to trust it. Oh, I mm. I get to trust mm-hmm. this. Yes. Like the energy completely shifts. Like I have to, I, right? I get yeah. to trust this. I get to trust this process. It's like really beautiful. I love that. That reminds me, Monica. So the, the, a, a big part of the, um, of love is the business plan is something called the gecko model, which is just an acronym. So it's gratitude, empathy, care, kindness, and optimism. And that, that first part, the gratitude bit, is that sort of mentality of I get to do this work. Yeah. And how that changes so much of your interactions with people. Is I get, you know, I get to do this service for you. Yeah. I get to record this. It's a very different approach than like I have to. Yes. You know? Yes, I love that you said that. What if you could shave 15 to 20 hours off of your work week with proven copy templates and use relational marketing psychology to drastically increase your impact and your sales results? Sage has tested these methods for selling online for over 10 years and over 400 copywriting projects. They work for anyone with a business idea, including e-commerce folks, course creators, copywriters, coaches, designers, social media ad managers, and digital service providers. These techniques work, even if you want to get started in online business, even if technology makes you want to cry in a corner, and even if you only have 30 minutes a day to implement. The strategies she shares will help you live your life outside of screen time, even if you don't have a big marketing budget. I love it, and I think you'll love it too. You can apply for your two-week trial by going to www.sagepolaris.com slash Monica using code REVELATION to get started for just $7, 
with Sage Polaris's Copy Template Membership. That's www.sagepolaris.com slash Monica. Then use code REVELATION to get started for just $7 with Sage Polaris's Copy Template Membership. Well, and I love, you know, and of course, now I totally love what you just brought into the space because in the gecko model, right, which is such a great acronym for, you know, when I look at, and I want you to repeat it again for us, because like what I just heard in that is such a anchoring, remembering map to what to how to presence more of the feminine in our work lives. Yep, definitely, definitely. In the J-O-B, right? Yeah, it's, a re- it's funny because people are like, it's their, their values and people are like, well, how do you incorporate this actually, right? How do you incorporate these values? So Gecko, again, stands for gratitude, empathy, care, kindness, and optimism. And so gratitude is that basic of like, okay, I get to do this work. Empathy is, to me, I have kind of a different approach on empathy. I wrote an article this once called How to Build Empathy. Because something that, it's something especially a lot of women do is we undervalue our own strengths, we overvalue the strengths of others. So, you know, we tend to think that just because we know something or we feel something that everybody will, might, you know, might feel this and it's not that important or it's not special because, but... Uh, it is really special. So anyway, I wrote this article called How to Build Empathy. And one of the most basic sort of fundamental ways, I think, to build empathy is to recognize something, which is that we're all here. If, like if nothing else helps you connect with people, it's if, if you can remember that we're all here at the same time on earth and how that's not an insignificant thing. That's not insignificant at all. This is extraordinarily special to be here at the same time. And that alone to me says, I can learn from you because we're here together. I can share with you because we're here together. You know, and I'm, I mean, I'm a big believer that even people who have passed on are, are around and, and there's much around us that influence us. But that alone, I think, is a, the basis of empathy for me is I don't think it's insignificant that we're both here at the same time. And so acting that way, you know? Yeah, I I just want to like sit with this for a minute. Yeah. I don't think it's insignificant that we're here together. That's what I heard you say. Yeah. I mean, it's really like, it's so profound and it's so simple. It's so, and, and people forget. People forget it. They pretend like it's not important, but it is. But it is. It is so important. And recognizing that as something that's important, I think the way that you treat people it becomes very different. It's not so different. You know, the, um, uh, like our, our lives are not so different now. When you think about it this way, where, it's, where you're thinking, you know, actually I'm much more connected to you than I thought. And if in no other way, it's the fact that we're both here on earth at the same time. And that's not something to sneeze at, you know? Yeah. Well, and what's coming up for me in this moment is like, why do you think that, because I see something else at play here that happens a lot. It is like, 
And maybe it goes back to kind of this whole idea of like, we're starving, actually, be seen and to be witnessed. But there's this tendency to want to teach someone something versus to Mm. think they have something to teach us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and, and so this happens the right? clash, yeah. versus this. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. And talk about masculine and feminine in the dance, right? Like you need two willing partners to be able to kind of dance, right? To be able to dance. And yet we go in and we're like, it's got to be this yeah. way, this way, <laughs> yeah. this way. And so like, we end up, if we're both coming at it, thinking that we know. Yeah, then we both, then you miss it. Then you miss the connection, right? You, yeah. You miss the connection. You miss the gecko. Yep. Yep. Totally. Like that actually like, Because all of these things, right, like I think about forgetting and I think about remembering and I think about like what is in the middle is actually presence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I like to, I love the word remembering because of the the, the real meaning of that word. It's like remembering (laughs) all part of the same. Yes. But like, but that, but that gecko is such a great presencer. Yeah. Because like, if I'm here in this moment, and I'm in the moment of gecko, I'm remembering, as I'm meeting with somebody, right? I'm remembering. Exactly. It's it's definitely an alignment tool. It's really what it is. It's an alignment tool. It's an alignment tool. Yeah, yeah. So tell me how you practice gecko. Yeah. Tell me how you practice in your personal life. Tell me how you practice with others. Like, tell me more. Yeah. So, so the third part of Gecko is a gratitude, empathy, then care, right? Care is like this right in the middle. Care is really interesting to me. And this actually came up because of, of Seth Godin, what, definitely one of my more influential mentors. But he had this question once that I loved and I still love. And it, is, it was basically the opposite of everything you would ever teach you in business school. Uh, and normally in business, you think, what's the least I can do for this dollar? And he flips that on its head and he says, what's the most you can do? Mm. How do you take this really generous approach to what is the most you could possibly do for this? And it is a very different, it was a, it was a very different way to think about business that I love. And to me, that sort of fell into this uh, understanding that care is a competitive advantage. Mm-hmm. When people hire you, if they're hiring me for a website, for example, they're not just hiring me to like build a website. They're hiring me to give a damn about building this website for them. I mean, it is never true words (laughs) were spoken. You know, I mean, what I find often is like, I want somebody to care. Yeah. Right. Like I want somebody to care about what I'm trying to do out in the world. Like I don't just need you to like consult I need you to care. Exactly. I don't just need you to build it. I need you to care. I need you to be impacted. Yeah. It, to me, that shows up in, in the practical ways that shows up is really like, you know, anticipating needs, anticipating what's actually going to make someone's life easier. You know, if you build something a certain way, will it make it harder or easier for them? You know, are there things to think about that they're not thinking about? And going that, so it's, it's very emotionally laborious. It's work. You're thinking for someone else in this way. You're asking questions to really uncover what is the real need versus the perceived need. What are they actually looking for? 
that maybe they don't even know that they're looking for because they just haven't gotten there yet. And the least you can do is ask those questions, you know? And so that to me, that kind of care, that's, that shows up in the business world. And what ends up happening is people say, you yeah, ask really good questions. I didn't think about that. Mm. And, you know, and then that, that really builds trust. It builds trust in a very real way because they can see that that's, that is what they're getting. And the reality is, and this is the reason I've been to client services for almost nine years now. And, um, and I'm doing a lot more creator things now. So I have like my consultancy that I'm kind of moving into this creator space as well. But in the consulting world and in client services in general, that's hard to do a lot of the time. So I don't have, it's not a volume game. It's very much like, who am I helping? Not how many people. And that to me is a really big, is a really big thing. Who over how many? I say that all the time. Well, and and that just brings me to audience building and engagement, right? Because a lot of people like that's kind of their goal is the more, more, more that somehow it's the quantity versus the quality of the relationship and the engagement. And, you know, when I'm working with clients, oftentimes like that seems to be the focus until you ask the deeper question. Yeah. Which gets into this area of like care and what do they care about really? Yeah. And who do you want to help? Is it really then the quantity or is it the quality? Yeah. It's rarely. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It it was funny because I didn't even realize this until I was reading up on on the podcast. And, you know, you had had really good questions in that questionnaire that you sent out. And one of the things I realized was, God, so many of my clients are actually these really amazing women that I know. And I remember this from early when I started my business, where I remember thinking, I want to help blow these women up. Yes. I want to give, right? And it was like, I was very intentional about who do I actually want to help? Yes. And then there was, it just so happened that like in the last few years, it's been you know, numerous women that have come up. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Like, this is exactly who I want to help. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Oh, I love <laughs> like, these that. are people that I want to help. But, but I think people forget about that, that you actually do have the power to make that kind of decision. And I know in the beginning, it's really, you know, really practical of like, oh, I just say yes to everything and whoever will hire me and whatever. But if you could slowly sort of inch towards who, who do I want to help really, mm-hmm. then care starts to become really embedded in your business, becomes embedded in your client choices, becomes embedded in the work that you want to do more of. Yeah. And this underneath this is the scarcity. Mm -hmm, Definitely. The scarcity thinking that has us live in the false belief that we need to take everything that comes our way, even when it's not aligned. Yeah. And that, that is, like I think as more and more women get into this realm of entrepreneurial thinking, like that's a common mistake yeah. that a lot of us make. And then that's when it becomes a J-O-B. That's when it becomes this very kind of constricted way of not being in love with our clients or our work. It's like, but we chose yeah. it. <laughs> You know, like we don't, <laughs> yeah. we, we don't kind of remember that like uh, we actually had a choice at one we point. We chose it. And yeah, then yeah, we, yeah. Chose we chose it. it. We said yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. but it's like, yes. oh, why did I do that? 
Right. And I get it, right? Because, you know, from a practicality standpoint, sure, there are those times where you absolutely do that. But you have to know what those moments are for. And those moments are for experimenting, learning on the job, right? It's it's so that you can better help who you want to help. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But but it's like, I love, and, and so we'll go back to, how did I grow? How did I grow from that client? What did that client teach me? And going in there with that intention, yeah. right? With that, like, okay, because I think, it, especially as consultants, I think I just really love to learn. And so for the longest time, it was like, you know, who's willing to give me the opportunity yeah. to learn with them, to share what I know, but I'm also experimenting. It's a lot of the job. Yeah. And sometimes I love to learn like, okay, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But all of it is really in this effort of eventually being able to help who you want to help and, and getting better and better at mm-hmm. that. That's really what it is. It's all of this sort of experimentation of getting better and better to, to actually do the kind of work that you want to do. And I think a lot of people think that it has to be a, a sort of quick decision. I don't think it's like that. I think it's very incremental. And then you get to position yourself in such a way where you're now really capable of helping those people or helping them more and more. But, but even so, I think people miss all the time that question of who do I actually want to help? Yeah. Like they don't think about that. They're think, they think of it from, like you said, this really scar- you know, scarcity mindset of like, I just need clients. Like, well, hold on. Yeah. Who do you want to help? That's a, that will sort of help direct you. It's almost like a filtering question. Yes, absolutely. It absolutely is. Okay, so kindness and optimism. Yeah, so kindness is really interesting. Kindness is so fun because it's, it is the unexpected thing that you do for someone that, that you purpose, that you intentionally build it. Yeah. Okay. So, I, so it's premeditated kindness. I used to own a coffee shop and actually it's like premeditated kindness. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. It's not the random act of kindness, even though it felt, you know, uh, you might feel like it on the other end, but no, it's intentional. You're intentionally building it in. Um, and, but then this, so there's that, there's that aspect of it. There's also this aspect of it where, and actually my friend Sahil says this and, and I really appreciate him for that. Uh, but he says, uh, the, the, it's very kind to approach someone with compassion who might not know what you know, mm-hmm. right? And so kindness is also this sort of explaining things that maybe you take for granted or maybe someone's afraid to ask like, or say that they don't know something. It's like the way that you approach them, it has a, there's, a, there's a kind of kindness and compassion underneath. Yeah. And people really appreciate that. You know, so even, even with you using... Was it uh, was it Nasty? Yes, example, right? Like your your approach to explaining it was so kind, right? And so it wasn't like a, I expect you to know. It was like this is what it is. Yeah, and I was like, oh, and like right, I could take it in. I could take it in without the shame of not. Knowing. Oh yeah, yeah. I could actually hear it. And so to me, especially in the consulting world, that that's really what that's about. Mm-hmm. And then optimism is definitely one of my favorites. I, I, I love optimism because you can't, like, I love this fact, you cannot be an inventor of any sort without optimism. Yeah. And I want people to really think about that. You cannot create better, right? You cannot create at all, really, without having some kind of optimism. So optimism is an inventor's best friend. And for me, in the client services side of things, it's really uh, not just about myself, but letting others see that we can either overcome this thing, we can accomplish 
you know, this thing we can create together, uh, that we can, that it's possible. And I, I'm a big believer that if you carry that honestly, right, not naively, you don't have to say, oh, this is going to be easy, but that we can do hard things, right? Very Glennon, uh, Glennon yeah. Doyle, we can yeah. do hard things, I think is a really, uh, you want that person on your team, right? You want them to help you. You absolutely do. And so, and I, so I think that's a really, that's a really big value. And in all of these things, again, with the gecko model, it's really, it's so funny because they're, it's really, they really do build a values aligned business, but together it's almost the, together the, the way that they work together is that it really does serve as this competitive advantage because you are anchoring in all of these things that actually mean something in the human realm from person to person. Yeah. So I have a couple of people I partner with, and one of my cherished partners says, love is in the details. Mm-hmm. And these feel like very important details. Yep, exactly. And I also want a presence. My listeners always hear me talk about Lynn Twist because she's somebody I work with on a pretty much day-to-day basis. And I don't know if you've heard of her work. She wrote The Soul of Money and she wrote Living a Committed Life. And she's... Oh, great titles. Yeah, she's a total visionary and you, you would love her work. But what she talks about is actually very similar. She just has a different term for it. She calls it grounded optimism and she calls herself a possibilist. Mm. Yeah. I dig that. I like that. Well, and what I've learned from her the most is that she sees an opportunity in every challenge where other people, you know, it's like, and that's this muscle of resilience that I see her exercise. It's not that I don't see her being human. It's not that I don't see her thrown off her game every now and again, but it's like, I can always count on her to see a possibility in it that she couldn't maybe see before, like when she was initially kind of responding to it. And so, you know, she'll always say, and I'm sure you've, you would share this sentiment that it's happening for us versus happening to us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the thing that I even love about saying like, I can count on her for that is like, I love, I love knowing that like, I can count on that about me too now. Right? Like, I can count on that about me. Like, I will always, like, it might take me a while, right? Like, I may have to, like, be in the victim for a minute or two or five or 10 or, you know, like, yeah, or weeks or months. You know, like, let's be real. There are some things that happen and I cannot see the opportunity or the possibility yet. But I think, you know, like, on a day to day basis, like, I also think of Brene, Brene's work, right? And it's like, Yep, absolutely. Is it going to take you out of the game? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because that, the reality, like it's when optimism, that's the reality. We just miss it because we're stuck yeah. in, you know, a, a little hole of self-pity for a while. Yes. But that is the reality. She's being a realist, which I think is so funny to think about because people are like, oh, yeah. You're being naive. It's like, no, right, no actually. Right. And there's some <laughs> grit here, actually. There's some grit here. It's this place where it does all yeah, get to belong. Right? That it's gritty. I don't like it. But here's what I see. Here's the opportunity. And, and there's an aspect of the, it's the and that you were talking about. It is the and. This yes. sucks and we can do it. 
Yes. Yes. (laughs) And it's not, it's not just putting lipstick on a pig, right? It's like, it actually. No, it's reality. Yes. I mean, there's things that just happen. I mean, let's, let's look at COVID for example, right? And, and people could either, and again, like all, all empathy here for anybody that, you know, really was forced, right? But then there were other people that really like took on the challenge and a lot of people that might have considered their business if they folded or closed their doors, but those people grew from it. They see how they would innovate in a way and come back to business and not do it the same way. We can't see everything. I have never, ever, I have never, ever met any business owner, any speaker, anybody who has yeah. not in some way or another folded or right? <laughs> folded what they're doing. So when people like, I always tell people like, you're not, if you think you're going to get it right the first time, you've, you're not, Yeah, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. If you think you're going to have, you're going to be a speaker and you're never going to bomb, that is literally never going to, there isn't a speaker on earth who has never bombed. It's so true. It's so true. Right? <laughs> They're so good. And so knowing that you can say, you know, when these companies that did fold or you know, a speaker that does mess up or something, to me now that has become, and I, I mean, I will tell you honestly, I was someone that I would fall for weeks into those, you know, those things of self-pity. Now it's one of those things where it's like, well, I guess that was my screw up, you know? It's, it's the notch on the bell, like that was my screw up. I knew I was going to have some. Yeah, well, it's, and in my world, I say, say yes to the mess, right? Because yeah. <laughs> it's also kind of in those messy places where we come to enlightenment. It's, I often say it's like why the lotus is the symbol of enlightenment, right? It grows in the mud, it grows in the deep dark. But it's, it's like even those messy mistakes that we make, it's an opportunity to clean up the mess and to, you know, there's something to be learned there. There's something to be learned there. There is something there to learn. Yeah, right. It's like when our messy emotions, because that's the other thing that we don't think belongs in business. And it absolutely does. You know, like we need mm-hmm. to, like our emotions teach us something. They have something to teach us. And so we're not, you know, we can't be up here in our heads all the time, intellectualizing everything. We're living, breathing, feeling human beings. And this is where, you know, kind of this marrying of the head and the heart. And this is, you know, where I really want to invite in our last, you know, 10 minutes here to start getting into a conversation about that. Because, what I'm really hearing is like, love is the business model. And in order for love to thrive, it needs structure, right? It needs the masculine. And so I want to bring in this conversation of like the masculine structures that you lean into in order to bring more love, to bring the gecko. Like, what do you use in ways that support you? And I know I'm going to brag on your newsletter for a minute because you know, like you actually, that is a model of Gecko right there, your newsletter, because in it, you're always providing those who subscribe with little tips. You're so generous in those newsletters. So I even look at the newsletter as a structure. Yeah, I need the structure. Yeah, I need the structure. It's daily, it's automated. Um, So there's two parts to the the newsletter. One, uh, if people go to mushi.co up at the bottom, that the little sign up there that's for the weekly letter and then if you go to dailyinspire.co that's the 
uh, that's daily. So every weekday plus the weekend edition. So yes, with, with Daily Inspire, and, and I use this all in, in a lot of ways in business, is the structure of this daily newsletter was really interesting because I have to use, so besides like the automation, for example, like one thing that I have to, I had to pay attention to is how long is this thing going to be and who, who can I like really be in this, uh, in delivering this? So one of the things that stood out to me is, and this is something that I'm borrowing from a guy whose newsletter I get, named Josh Spector, who had, he was like one of the first people to have these really short newsletters. I was like, God, I did not ever think I could do that, right? I did not think that like anybody would allow that. You didn't think brevity was your jam? I didn't think, well, it's funny because I know it is, right? But I'm like, I don't know, people won't appreciate that. If I read a newsletter, it has to be long. It has to be, you know, so it has to be extremely uh, deep. It has to be like actually no wow no you could just give people a little bit of encouragement every single day and then on the weekend if you want to share a little bit behind the business you do that you know and but it's funny because what i what i really feel like i take from the masculine side of things is the confidence yeah say more (laughs) the confidence of (laughs) the confidence of some of these guys put out the kind of business they put out, the kind of content they put out, where I'm like, my God, I would have overthought the hell out of that. <laughs> oh, so yes, this is just so perfect. Yes, I would have overthought the hell out of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. You know, if I had the confidence of a white man in tech, <laughs> that's my goal. I always say a mediocre white man in tech, right? Like, or just a mediocre white man, if I had the confidence, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's honestly, it's so funny. But really, I think that's the thing that I, I've taken away the most is, is, from uh, from the masculine side of things is like this confidence that they, you know, things don't have to be perfect and you could still ship them anyway. And that's been really empowering. So that's been a big thing. Another really big thing is the confidence. And this, I hope so many women adopt because this has been uh, hugely impactful for me, which is the confidence that you can learn anything. Oh, yes. You can learn your way in or out of absolutely everything. Everything. And so, that, yes, it doesn't matter what it is. And so that alone is extremely empowering uh, because you don't let things, you know, when you do get tripped up, you just keep walking. You just keep going. Yeah. Like, and I'm a big, like, unlearner, actually. I, I just want to presence that for a minute because I call it the unbecoming. I love right? that. Because yeah. I, I, I I am someone who is has been super conditioned mm-hmm. to be a certain way and to think a certain way and to look a certain way like my whole life. So there's actually like this rebelliousness and unlearning that I just friggin' love, right? Like I'm just like, I am unlearning that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Have you read that? Yes. Oh yeah. I mean, phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, phenomenal. And of course, I was like going to see her before she was even like a thing. Oh, wow. Because I was just so, yeah, I can't remember where I first. Yeah, when you say unlearning, that's what I, that's what I think of. Yeah, yeah. Where I first came across her, her stuff, but it was, it was like, it just, oh, I think it was her, her initial literal email. Remember how she was blogging and she sent out a blog or she answered, I think it was even on a Facebook post where she answered 
a bunch of questions super vulnerably and everybody was just sharing it and starting to kind of like be like, oh yeah, like I'm doing that too. It was like, she was like the voice of full permission and saying the thing that everybody was thinking, but nobody wanted to say. It was like, Mm -hmm. she began to really model that. And that's what the other thing I think we do for each other as women is because we are so connected because we are so intuitive because we are designed to pick up on all of these things. I think that one of the beautiful things that happens when we see another woman dare, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like I call it the dare. The way that that opens the door. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, like I, I want some of that. Like I, I want that in my life, right? It's like we get this like Oh, like me too, right? Like, but in this really (laughs) positive way. And I think, you know, like we have a tendency now to really, as things start shifting, or I say, as the world starts kind of turning right side up, instead of condemning or criticizing a woman who is, comes into a room full of herself, I'm like, Oh, hell yes. Like, it's a turn on now. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know? Like, I'm like... Yep, absolutely. It's extremely attractive. It's really attractive. It's extremely attractive. And even just changing that narrative, because there's admiration there instead of jealousy. Oh, like, I admire that. And it requ- it's funny, because it requires women to, to really to, to admire that, because you... We've all been there oh. where there are some women who have the thought of like, who does this girl think she is? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But if you are the woman that's like, look at her, go you. Then it, yeah. all, right, all yeah. the women kind of perk up and they're like, oh, I guess you know. Okay. You know? <laughs> and it kind of opens the door for them. So it's funny how much of this is actually really social conditioning. It all is, I will say. it. All, it's all social conditioning. And so, yeah. you know, and, and here we are back, you know, in love. is when we are willing to kind of be in love everything else kind of falls away yeah and 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 what that means to approach things with love is a to me is is the biggest thing it's what that actually means because people are like you love your clients you love your partners you love it's like actually yeah Uh, yeah i really do yeah because businesses are made up of people (laughs) you know they're not these faceless things. Businesses are made up of people and people need love. And it's really that straightforward, you know, and I want, I want more people to, to be able to see that. Well, I just, oh, yay. Let's end on that note because it's so beautiful. Yeah. And I want you to, I know we just have a few more minutes and then we got to go, but I want you to invite our listeners to just go where you want them to go to check out your work or sign up for your newsletter or whatever it is that you're up to that you want them to know about? Yeah, I would love for, for people to sign up for the newsletter. It's dailyinspire.co. A lot of really cool things are coming from that. So there's the, the weekday, really short newsletter that comes up. And then at the weekends, I'm super vulnerable about my business. I share what I'm doing, how much I'm making, where, you know, it depends on, on the week. Uh, what I'm working on thinking about at the moment. So people really, really uh, like that. So I I definitely invite your listeners to, to join me there. Yes, and absolutely. I just want to also give a plug, like one of her recent newsletters, I, I can't remember if it was on the Daily Inspire, 
but I think it actually was the newsletter that was telling telling your followers how you make passive income and where you make it, right? Like, so yeah, th- these are gems mm-hmm. um, for women and men who are listening, who want to bring more love to their business and continue to practice the gecko method. Yeah. Yeah. More we talk about it, the, the better, you know, really. That's right. So thank you so much, Tanya. It's been an absolute honor to have you here today. And I've just loved everything that you've shared with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So much. Honored to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, honestly. And I'm really glad to, that we got to do this. So I appreciate it. Absolutely. And I'll put all of Tanya's links in the show notes. And until next time, more to be revealed. <laughs>